Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Thank you, our listeners, for joining us. We're going to talk about pornography in this podcast. My guest on the podcast is my friend Hayden Paul. Welcome to the podcast, Hayden. Good to be here. I'm excited. Hayden is going to talk about his journey with pornography that started about age 15. He's 24. He's been clean for about 11 months and really clean for about 18 months. He's been in an article that I picked up from the church news in earlier this year, I believe in February. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so this is a follow-up to that article. We'll link to that article in the podcast description. Um, his stake president, his YSA stake president, is a close friend of mine, Jordan Clements, that lives in our um, neighborhood. It was President Clements that hooked me up with Hayden and suggested he could come on the podcast. Um, so our hope is that those of you that are working to solve porn um, will listen to the things that Hayden will share and will give you better tools to solve it. Our second thought is that if your parents wanting to help your own children either prevent porn in your home or help them work through porn, that Hayden will have things that will help you as parents. And third, if your local leaders, especially YSA bishops, and you're looking for better tools, that Hayden will give you thoughts that will come into your mind to help the YSAs you're working with. We started with prayer, and this is just a really important topic, and I pray that the Spirit will be here to help both of us. Um, Hayden is a pretty bright, creative, um, talented man. He grew up in um, Sandy, Utah. He's 24 years old. He went to Brighton High School, class of 2014. 2014. Mm-hmm. He um, served a mission. Where did you serve a mission? Budapest, Hungary. Yeah, And that is a serious... Um, language to learn. Yeah, it was, uh, wasn't easy. Not the most useful language now, but I learned that I can do hard things. And tell our listeners what you're doing with the military. Yeah, so right now I'm serving in the infantry reserves at Camp Williams. I'm connected to uh, 4th LAR Charlie Company. And uh, I felt inspired uh, by God that I needed to, you know, serve my country and do my part. And so uh, much to me and my wife's dismay, we started our marriage off by being away from each other for six months and uh, made it through the initial training. And now uh, my commitment is uh, once a month I go in for training and then two weeks out of the year I go for more of an in-depth training and I just stand ready for deployment if the country sees fit. As an aside, why why did you join the Marines? Is this something you've always wanted to do or is this something that came post-mission? Yo, I never thought about it for so long. It was, it happened very quickly. I just felt that, you know, our great country has allowed for the restoration of the gospel to happen. And it's because of the founding principles of freedom and respecting agency and personal liberty. And I just felt a responsibility as a Latter-day Saint, knowing how important religious freedom is, knowing how important agency is that I myself do my part in upholding those principles and being willing to protect them if, if need be. And so that's, that's a short story. And we could do a whole other podcast on my, on that whole experience. Cause it, it was, uh, it was incredible what led me to it, but I, I'm grateful for the opportunity to serve. 
That's great. Thanks for your service. Tell our listeners, go through the math of how many months you've been married mm-hmm. and how many of those months you're away um, in, yeah. in training. No, we uh, our seven-month anniversary, we had been away from each other for six months. So my wife is a trooper. She's amazing. And everything that I need, and hopefully I'm everyone everything she needs in order for us to just reach our potential. And she's awesome. That's great. And we're going to talk later about um, Hayden in the dating process, talking to his girlfriend at the time about his pornography history. And mm-hmm. some of you may be wondering how to navigate that. And one of the things we're going to talk about in this podcast about pornography is a modified addiction recovery program that the Murray YSA stake did mm-hmm. with President Jordan Clements. And, and I think that's a wonderful program. And so there may be some of you that are looking for a program in your stake or ward. So we will talk about that. And I think there were some unique things done in the Murray YSA stake that really, from what I understand, I'm not directly involved in that stake, really tried to um, address for the YSAs. President Clements has now been released just recently. And um, if you're listening, President Clements, I know I join with hundreds and hundreds of others that thank you for your service Mm -hmm. and all the work that you've done in that Murray stake, as well as other leaders. Great work. And um, I see you on walks around the neighborhood and maybe you have a little more time, but I know you're missed in that assignment, you and your good wife. Just talk about pornography. When did this come into your life? How old were you? Yeah. So in in the article, I said 15, but actually uh, last week I was looking in my, because I remember the, the exact day that it happened. And I remember there was a picture that was posted on Facebook for my mom on that day. So I actually looked back and I was more around 13 years old. 13 years old, the first time that I, I looked at pornography and, you know, it scared me actually when I first saw it, it was shocking. And when I first watched like a video, um, and I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to think about it. And what happened though, is slowly those images went from scary to enticing. And then I found myself looking more and more and, you know, there were times where I would go weeks without it, months without it, especially when I was younger, like it wasn't very often. But by the time I was 16, 17, it was every single day probably. And sometimes even multiple times a day. It it had just become uh, a disease in my life that was rooted in shame. And shame was the reason why it was able to, you know, barb itself into me the way that it did. Because I was afraid. I, I, I wasn't going to tell anyone about this. I, now, <laughs> there, the way that I was kind of taught about pornography early on, and, you know, this was something that was kind of just thrown at church leaders out of the blue. You know, the internet comes and it's like, oh my gosh, this is going to be awesome. We can do family history. We can connect uh, all around the world. And then this terrible thing of pornography gets introduced. and the way I look at it, because with just kind of my Marine Corps mindset, I think about it as if you took an M16 to the Revolutionary War. You would destroy everyone. And it's because they have to reload after every single one. And you could get a, a, a squad of 12 Marines and take them to the Revolutionary War, and they could have beat Great Britain all on their own. And it's because their, their weaponry was so much more advanced. And Satan's weaponry really became so advanced so quick that church leaders and just all of us parents were scrambling 
on how to address it, right? And so with that, I mean, I remember one priesthood lesson um, when I was 13 years old. They showed us a video of Ted Bundy's final interview. And he talks about how pornography entered into his life at a young age and how it was a catalyst to the terrible things that he did. Now, that's not an effective way to keep youth away from pornography. And the reason why is because there's a couple of reasons. One is it's so out there. It's so like, okay, if I look at pictures of whatever, I look at videos, um, then all of a sudden I'm going to become Ted Bundy. Like it's unbelievable. But then this is the worst part. This is the worst part that is completely unintended. And I don't think anyone intended it to be this way. But what it does is even if you don't believe that pornography could uh, lead you to, to do those terrible things, you thought that your church leaders did. And so what that meant is if pornography was already a part of your life or, or became a part of your life, you did not want to tell anyone because they would equate you with someone terrible like Ted Bundy, right? That's now that's not everyone's experience, but we, we spend so much time and, and rightfully so talking about how evil pornography is and how much destruction it cause, causes spiritually. But unfortunately, if we don't do that the right way, then we can just cause people to turn inwards and, and be completely covered in shame, unable to properly reach out because they're going to think that you look at them as these monsters. And that's just not, it's not the case. Pornography is evil, but you are not evil if you look at pornography. Will you say that line again, yes. please? Pornography is evil, but you are not evil if you look at pornography. And so a combination of a lot of things, I just, I never told anyone. And I went all the way through high school. I never wanted to tell my parents about it. Sure. I never believed in any of my friends because I have some really good friends. And I, I was just like, there's no way that they, they struggle with this too. Come to find out after my mission, every single one of them did to some degree. And I went all the way up, went through the temple, and I went on my mission, and I lied. I just lied to my bishop. And Did your bishop specifically ask about pornography? Yeah, and he specifically asked me, and he looked in my eyes, and he said, you know, this is something that a lot of people struggle with. And if you struggle with it, like you should let me know. And I looked at him and I said, I don't struggle with it. And I lied to him. Later on, I I wrote him a letter when I was in the MTC apologizing for lying to him. And, um, but I went to the MTC and the first few weeks, I didn't even think about it. I was so enthralled by the spiritual nature of the work. And I was there for nine weeks because Hungarian was a nine week language. And so the first five, six weeks, I didn't even think about the fact that, you know, I had put, I had done a little bit better looking at pornography up to my mission, like maybe once a week instead of every single day. But I never told anyone and I had lied. And one day I was reading in the scriptures and I can't even remember that. I, I could find the verse right now, but it would just take too much time. But it talked about, it talks about not uh, procrastinating the day of your repentance. And then it lists all of these blessings that come, you know, peace of mind, um, a firm faith and hope in the future, those types of things. And I was immediately just like, oh yeah, I forgot. I lied to get here. <laughs> and for three days, I just, I, I slept very little. 
And I was just like haunted because in my mind, I was like, I lied to go to the temple. I lied to go on my mission. And if I tell anyone about this, I'm going to get sent home. It's going to be, it's going to be humiliating to my family, to me. And finally, one day we were just sitting in class studying our language and I just grabbed my companion. I was like, we need to go now. We went to the MTC front offices and I was like, I need to talk to my branch president. And I got his phone number. I called him. I was like, can we, can you come and talk to me as soon as possible? And he came and, and I talked to him and I told him and I can't explain the feeling. It was just like immediately just this weight just lifted off my shoulders. Like the burden wasn't just mine anymore, you know? And this branch president who was representing the Lord in a symbolic way, me sharing this with him, and I'd already talked to God about it. And I just knew that he needed me to do this. And I didn't know why, but when I did it, it was just immediate, just like, I felt light as a feather and just tears. Like even right now, I just can't. I just, that feeling of just love, it's just pure love just filled me. And I went on my mission and I served faithfully. You didn't get sent home then? And I didn't get sent home, no. Uh, Luckily, we were able to work it out. And, you know, I wrote wrote my stake president, my bishop, a letter. And I apologized that I lied to him just because didn't sit right with me that I did. And your stand up guy, we, uh, good for you. <laughs> and we, um, and I went out and I served and it was amazing. And after two years of not looking at pornography and, and I'm not going to lie, like there were, I had a tr- problem, um, controlling my thoughts. And I talked to my mission presidents about this and I just told them, I was like, I, I'm, it's just when we're on like a bus and we're just sitting there and there's nothing to think about or when, yeah, just during times where I'm not actively engaged in the work, like I find it a struggle to keep my thoughts clean. And my mission president made a promise to me and he said, you know, I don't know how long it's going to take. I don't know if you can do it while you're on your mission, but I promise you. And the, and I feel that the Lord is promising you through me that if you serve faithfully, And you work hard to put those thoughts away that when you return home from your mission, you will no longer have to put those thoughts away. They will just not be there. And so with that promise, I I served faithfully. And I remember about four weeks after returning home, I was just sitting in sacrament meeting and that, that promise came back to me like that, that experience I had. And I realized that I had not had to fight off bad thoughts for those first four weeks. And I was just like, wow, like, this is amazing. This is the atonement of Jesus Christ. It's worked in my life. And I just, I was so grateful. And I was, I was still on that spiritual, that return missionary spiritual high. And I was like, I'm untouchable. You know, like I, I knew what it felt like to be under the bonds of pornography. And I now know what it's like to not have that on me. And I never wanted to return. And so I finally, I felt freedom. And then, and I found this to be the case with a lot of missionaries that have similar stories to me. And a lot of, a lot of young men have similar stories to me. They, they're afraid to tell and fix the problem before they go on their missions. And then they repent on their missions and then they serve and then they come home. And then about three months after I got home, I had Instagram, I had Facebook. I was slowly kind of get back into social media on my phone and I looked at pornography and I couldn't believe it. 
I just immediately was like, what am I doing? What are you doing, Hayden? Like, why? But this time was different because I immediately texted my bishop. Cool. Which was awesome. But, and, and I'm almost kind of done with the history of like pornography. Then we can, ask, you can ask me questions. But what happened was I went and talked to my bishop. And even though I was open and honest from the beginning, it still kept coming more and more in my life. And I, I didn't understand. And I finally had a realization that I never learned to live life outside of missionary service, full-time missionary service, without pornography. So why would I think I would just have to skip that process? That going on a mission and, you know, having, my te- having technology restricted and always being, you know, in a spiritual work and being with someone 24-7. Like, obviously, I'm not going to look at pornography then. That's not going to fix the problem. I'm going to have to learn how to live life without pornography. And that's kind of, that's, that's kind of the history before my journey to, like, real recovery happened. That's um, fascinating. That the realization of that is just I never learned to live life, mm-hmm. you know, except on my mission. And the reality of life for you and really all of us, but especially your age group, mm-hmm. is that you've just got to learn. I thought as a parent that I would just solve this for our six children mm-hmm. by permanently causing them never to have access. That was, Blocking it. And I would block it at our home, but then I realized their school... Mm-hmm. They understand technology better than I do. There's <laughs> neighbors. There's just all these. So I realized that at a certain point, there's no way as a parent, I'm oh. going to restrict this. Yeah. Instead, I've got to develop de- develop um, tools for our children to be able to manage this mm-hmm. and live in this kind of the reality of this world. And feel comfortable to talk to you too. Exactly. That's the important part. And I, I tell people this, and some might think it's a little bit of a pessimistic view. But I don't know if we, I don't think we can keep our youth from pornography. I don't think we can. And so what we have to do instead is we have to have relationships with them that allow them to feel comfortable to come to us when they do. So talk about that. Talk mm-hmm. to parents. Um, and maybe this is also to local leaders to, cr- to create an environment where they're ward members or their children will talk to them. Mm-hmm. It's a difficult thing. Um, my parents are awesome and they, like they, there's no reason why I shouldn't have felt comfortable um, talking to them about it. Um, you know, they could have maybe asked about it specifically more and maybe, I mean, what I'm going to do with my parent, with my children is obviously when it comes to appropriate ages, I'm going to talk to them and say, you know what, you're going to come across pornography. And it's going to, it's, it's going to come to you when, when, when it does, I just want you to come talk to me because I have experience with it. I had to deal with that problem as well. And obviously I'm trying to, I'm still going to figure out. And I think it depends on the child and their maturity level of when you have that sort of talk with them. But, um, you have to create an environment where they, they know that they can mess up and sin and you're still going to love them. And then that's okay. Because really, and I don't know a different way to put this, but, but sinning and repenting is the plan. There's no need for a savior without sin. And so 
allowing our children to make mistakes, but then also allowing them to come to you and, and help them repent, that's more important because our children are going to sin. They're going to do silly stuff. They're going to they're gonna want to you know, break the rules that you set for them. But if you create an environment where, where shame dominates, then they're just going to lie to you. And that just compounds. You know, uh, I always thought this is interesting in Doctrine and Covenants 121. Um, when, he, um, when they're talking about, um, you know, the, the attributes that make a, a good priesthood holder and a really just a good disciple um, and, and the things that make it so the, the spirit and your priesthood is withdrawn, it, it says, um, I don't know exactly how it goes, but it says, when you seek to cover up your sins, that's what it says. Then the spirit is grieved and withdraws. Sin, all, everyone's going to sin. But when you seek to cover it up, that's when Satan is like, okay, now I got, now I got some room to work. Because you're not, you're not going to be, no one's going to be able to help you. You're covering this up. So you're just, you're putting a sin on top of sin, on top of sin, on top of sin. And it creates a Petri dish of just, of filth that will just, it will, it will cover you and, and drown you. And so as parents, it's just important that we, we let our children know that they can make mistakes, but they can be fixed. There's nothing that can't be undone. And, and that's what faith in Jesus Christ is. It's knowing that there's nothing that can be undone, that can't be undone. It's a great segment. I'm with you. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something about people that can help other people um, with the atonement of Jesus Christ that authentically know how the atonement mm-hmm. works. And there's part of your story that you're speaking from first-person experience that mm-hmm. makes it more real for other people. I think it's a beautiful part of your story, Hayden, a beautiful part of your yeah. life mission. Why would you tell your children, and you were, you mm-hmm. were careful with this, age-appropriate, about your own mm-hmm. pornography use? That is very important. And, and it's because I think a lot of parents uh, fear that if they tell their kids about silly things that they did, that their kids are going to be like, well, my dad did it. And maybe, but they're at least going to know that they don't have to lie to you, that you're a person and that you have experience with the atonement of Jesus Christ. And obviously, like, let's say you were doing silly things when you were, when you were a teenager, you're not doing them now. So obviously you realize that they weren't right and they weren't conducive to you having a good life. And so it's just a testimony to them that, you know what, there's more important things in life. Your kids are going to be exposed to drugs. Your kids are going to be exposed to pornography, to all sorts of explicit media. And if they just think that you're perfect and you've been perfect always, then that just, it, it makes them not want to talk to you about any of it, you know? And you don't have to share the details of, your, of the sins that you've committed in your life. But you also, you don't want to create you don't want to put yourself on a pedestal and it might not be on purpose, but you know, no one feels comfortable talking to someone that has always been perfect and and they think that you're going to look down on them because they're not. 
I like that answer. Mm -hmm. I would have given a different answer 10 or 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, I would have given the feeling that I need to set the perfect example as a parent. Mm -hmm. And I can still set an example, but it doesn't, it doesn't be perfect. But yeah. I love what you're teaching that you've got to have a communication channel open mm -hmm. and being vulnerable about your own past mm -hmm. um, often is a way to open that channel. Mm -hmm. in an appropriate way. And I think every parent just needs to go by the spirit and how best how to do that. Mm -hmm. But I very much agree with you. Yeah. Ask the Lord what, what he wants Would you, you do, to share. If you were a YSA Bishop one day, mm -hmm. if we're still calling YSA wards, YSA wards, mm -hmm. would you be open about your pornography use? 100%. Why? Because I, because, you know, you don't want to, because pornography Unfortunately, I think it's a, a war that's going to be fought until the Lord comes. And you, you want to talk to someone who's been in it, in the battle, in the fight. And I mean, we need to have a culture of repentance, not perfection. We're not perfectionists. Will you say that line again? Yeah, I know. Seriously, we need to have a culture of repentance not perfection. And we have our church leaders that give amazing talks about this, that, you know, churches uh, for, it's not a museum of saints, but a hospital for sinners. And that's, that's the type of attitude we need to have. We need, we need not get comfortable in sin. That's, there's a, there's a very big difference. And, and one thing that I always try to make sure that I do and what I would do if I was a YSA bishop is I would bring light to the problem without making light of the problem. And I think that's very important because it can be really easy to be like, hey, a lot of us are struggling with pornography. And then someone can justify it and be like, oh, okay, so that means it's good, that, that I'm okay, that I'm, I'm not the only one, so I'm fine, right? But that's not what you should be doing. It's kind of like saying, oh, well, like a lot of people have this disease, have cancer. It doesn't make cancer okay. It doesn't make it good. You know, you're not, the fact that so many people suffer from it just means it's a bigger problem. And so it's really important to kind of walk that line of bringing light to the problem without making light of it. I love your answer there. And I think when I get hope for the future, I hear, it's because of answers like you're giving Hayden. <laughs> um, when I think of you, your age group, aging up and being the bishops and the parents of tomorrow. Mm -hmm. You know, the only difference with pornography use, I'm 60 next year, so I'm already calling wow, myself 60. Hey, for those <laughs> of you who don't 24. know what he looks like, he doesn't look like he's 60. <laughs> You're kind. <laughs> um, and um, I, I recognize the, the difference between me and you is access. Mm -hmm. I had no access mm -hmm. at 15, 17, 24. Access sort of happened in my 40s, and yeah, I could have messed up big time still. Mm -hmm. But a lot changes between age 15 and 40. Mm -hmm. And so I just, I quickly developed empathy for the YSAs when I was a YSA bishop because I just recognized they're in a different era than I am. Yeah. But I recognized, and I've talked about this before, that a feeling came upon me is, you know, you are going to be the parents and the leaders of tomorrow. And pornography use in my feeling is peaking with your age group. Mm -hmm because you're the first ones dealing with this. Your yeah. M16, if I use the right mm -hmm. gun analogy, is perfect. Mm -hmm. But it's a perfect analogy. Mm -hmm. 
but you are going to be the parents and leaders of tomorrow. And because you've walked this road and have had to be the, you can't have it more pervasive than 24 seven. There's, yeah. there's no new sort of, I mean, the content mm-hmm. may be worse, mm-hmm. but it's still just, it's going to be pervasive. Just as accessible. But the conversations you'll be able to have with your kids mm-hmm. that you just had with us here and the conversations you you just had as a potential church leader mm-hmm. are going to be key to solving this. Mm-hmm. And you use the word shame a lot. Mm-hmm. And I really believe that Satan doesn't win if we sin. He wins if we can believe, cause us to believe we're unworthy of God's love. Mm-hmm and that the atonement doesn't apply to us, and mm-hmm. we have a problem that no one else has. Mm-hmm. And all those things you're dealing with at 16, 17, and 18, and hearing Ted Bundy future stories <laughs> about you, and what, and having, to be honest, some of the emotional ability to navigate that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. Some people get suicidal. Some people get really mm-hmm. in dark places when they start to think about their future and and not being able to talk about things that are going on in their lives. and. Mm-hmm. And so the things you're teaching is ability for people to have conversations that then give them hope and point them to Christ in the future. Mm-hmm. And that's really what it, it's about. It's about your openness with others symbolizes your openness with Christ. Um, because, yeah, you can go in your room and you can pray and say, Christ, Heavenly Father, I know that you guys know that I'm doing all these bad things and I want to change. But if you're only willing to do it in private, and, and not ask for the help that God's given you. Because it's interesting, um, when I think about the body of Christ, when I think about, you know, the church being the body of Christ, I think about it like this. You have certain attributes that are Christ-like, that I don't have, but are natural to you. And I have certain ones that are natural to me and not to you. And there's a million of them. You know, there's people that are very empathetic, good at listening. And there's people that are really good at explaining doctrinal issues and and kind of explaining the doctrine of Christ that are articulate. And we all have, we all share these Christ-like attributes. And it's the culmination of all of us coming together as a church that creates Christ. Because we have all of, we have all of the Christ-like attributes in some form and we strengthen each other. And so the reason why you have to open yourself up is because then you can let Christ work through those around you, through your family, through your friends, through your church leaders, through your, you know, your counselors. Um, if you go through church counseling or anything like that, um, you have to, you have to be open. And I think about it like this. Uh, you know that picture of Jesus where he's standing outside the door and he's knocking and there's no doorknob? So I've I've always wondered, why is it that someone wouldn't let him in. Like they know he's Jesus and he's knocking on the door. Why wouldn't you let him in? And this is the reason I think most white people don't let him in. It's because they got a messy house. They don't want Jesus to see it. And so what they do is they say, okay, I'm just going to clean up. I'm going to clean up my house a little bit and then I'm going to let Jesus in. But I would love, I I would love to get an artist to do a, a little rendition to that where it's like a zoomed out version and behind him is just a bunch of cleaning equipment because <laughs> the whole per- reason he came to your house is to clean it. He didn't come to just hang out with you and, and, and for you to treat him to a nice dinner in a perfectly immaculate house. He came to help clean your house. And so let him in, let him do that. And 
a lot of times what we'll do is we'll tell ourselves, okay, once I get a couple months without looking at pornography, then I'll tell so-and-so because then it seems like you're trying, right? But it's like, no, what should happen? And near the end of my recovery, it got to the point where if I, if I looked at porn and masturbated, that I would get on my knees right away. And I knew that that was because that's when I needed to be there most. The times where you don't want to pray, because you don't want to pray, there's, there's never a time that you don't want to pray more than after you've done something like that, where you just, you feel pathetic. And you just feel that shame. And the, the quicker you can learn how to repent, that's when you really get a handle on, on the whole pornography thing is, is as your, your time of repentance and breaking through that wall of shame, as that shortens, the closer you come to Christ. And so we need to let Christ in to help us clean our houses. I love that. And I love you being honest about praying right after mm-hmm. pornography and masturbation. Mm-hmm. And I, um, masturbation's part of pornography. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad you talk about that because that's part of the conversation I think we need to have. Yeah. So thanks for, and I think talking about that de-shames it. Mm-hmm. Um, I am, I've learned a lot about the atonement as I've helped YSAs and I'm not perfect. So mm-hmm. of course I learned through the atonement through my own life, but mm-hmm. I think there's some things culturally that make us harder to do what you just did mm-hmm. is to kneel down and pray. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes we create the feeling that every time you mess up, you're adding to Christ's burden mm-hmm. and his cross just got heavier. And, mm-hmm. and I think that is something that Christ would not want us to think because I think he'd want mm-hmm. us to realize he's already paid the price mm-hmm. and, we're, and we're not adding to his burden every time we mess up. Mm-hmm. In fact, when we repent and turn to him, and desire to improve, we're taking advantage of his greatest gift, which actually makes him happy. Mm-hmm. So I think he was thrilled that you got down on your knees mm-hmm. and prayed, mm-hmm. you know, right after messing up. Yeah. And I don't think um, you're back. The other thing I really feel strongly about is you're not back to square one. I oh, think that's yeah. a lie of Satan. Yes. So here you are, home from your mission. You've served two years in a really tough country. Mm-hmm learning a really tough language without mm-hmm. just tons of measurable success. But I bet mm-hmm. you had more success than you realize. Mm-hmm. And you did have success. Um, that's a whole other podcast, I'll mm-hmm. bet. But I just think it's a lie that the first time you messed up your mission, you're back to square one. Mm-hmm. That is. And it's all starting over. And, and that all the repenting you had done up to that point was mm-hmm. off the table and, yeah. not, and not worth it. Mm-hmm. I just think those are lies from Satan to pull you back to a place where you feel no hope and you don't feel the hope of the atonement. So talk about any of that. So I actually, uh, I I love that you said, like I got the chills right now just because it's so true. It's so easy to think that you've, you, you've made all these strides. You started to implement good habits into your life that has allowed you to, you know, have a a good amount of time without looking at pornography and then you mess up and it's like, Oh, it's all out the window. It's not, that's it. That is a lie. And you should not believe that. And the way I kind of look at it, and I think is, I'm a big analogy guy, if you can't tell, like I love analogies. The M16s and the Revolutionary War is going to stick with me for a long time. Um, Yeah. Oh, and after my military service, we could do a whole podcast on how applicable military's tactics and strategies are to fighting the war against Satan. It's incredible. But what this analogy I really like because, you know, it really is kind of a cycle. It's a circle. You 
you you sin, you make, you confess, you repent, you go through the repentance process, right? And when you keep doing it again, it seems like you're starting off at square one, but it's not just a circle. You're not just going in circles. You're going up a spiral staircase. And you may feel like you're just going around in circles, but you're moving up and you're moving up towards heaven and you're moving up towards God. And it is the cycle that refines us. You know, you don't stick a, when you're making a sword and you're trying to make a really strong blade, you stick it in the fire, melt it down, take it out, pound on it, stick it in water, stick it in the fire, take it out, pound it down, stick it in water and you, or in oil. And you do that over and over and over and over again. And that, that is what refines it. That's what strengthens it. That's what turns it into what it, what it should be. And it's the same with us. Yes, you're going to have to repent over and over and over and over and over again. And, and that's just the process. And so fall in love with the process. Fall in love with the fact that you are changing. And it might not be as quick as you want it to be, but it's happening. And just never, never get caught up in that, that terrible idea that you're starting back at square one because you're not. I put on Instagram the other day mm-hmm. um, this this thought. On your flight home from your mission, did you promise not to make the same mistakes you made before <laughs> your mission and then made them? You are not uh, back at square one. You are still worthy of God's love. Stay positive. Make progress. Be kind to yourself. Look forward. You'll be okay. Mm-hmm. And I love your spiral staircase as part of that. that mm-hmm. The visual of that is you're moving forward. And I... I just, you know, that's not an invitation. Neither of us are giving an invitation for people to make the same mistakes they made before their mission or over and over. But I love everything about the atonement, everything about the prodigal son returning, everything I understand about repentance is positive. Mm -hmm. Guilt to me is a positive thing because it's Mm forward-looking. Shame is just the opposite. Shame says I am bad versus I did something bad, and it keeps Mm -hmm. you in this whirlpool. Um, So I just think that's really important. Talk about um, the program in the Murray Salt Lake yeah. City YSA State called Modified Addiction Recovery Program. Yeah, so we called it the Healing and Recovery Program, HRP instead of ARP. Now, I'll, I'll kind of pick up where I left off, I guess, in my story to kind of move into it. So Good. I, I kept meeting with bishops and it kept, pornography kept getting, in, getting into my life. And after my mission at its worst, it was probably like three times a week when it was at its worst. So it still wasn't every single day, um, but it wasn't nowhere close to where I wanted to be, which is never. And so I kept, I kept meeting with bishops and, and I had awesome YSA bishops. Like I love them all. They're amazing. And they just didn't have any tools, specific tools to give me. And it's not their fault. And I think that's, that's something that, that needs to change and, and happen within our, within, you know, our organization is we need to start giving people more practical tools. Agreed. Um, and so what I kind of felt like, back to the analogy, is I felt like I would go to, I'd go to a bishop and they would just say, keep praying, keep reading your scriptures. After you've gone a, a little bit of time without it, go to the temple and just implement that into your life. And what I felt like <laughs> was that I was, I, I had always, after my mission, I, I always prayed, I always read my scriptures, and I always went to the temple. Like I was doing those things. And what I felt like was that they were on a boat and I was in the ocean 
And they were just saying, keep swimming, keep swimming. Don't give up, keep swimming. And I was like, will you please just throw me something? Like throw me a life raft or something? And it wasn't until I got into the Murray YSA ward uh, with President Clements that I felt like I was finally thrown a life raft. And I had gone to the addiction recovery program. So I'm not going to say no tools were given to me, but I felt that it was, it was too broad and I needed something specific towards pornography. And the addiction recovery program, it encompasses a lot of substance abuse as well as pornography. But um, there's a lot of similarities between them, but there's still a lot of differences. And so I kind of felt like something was missing. And so I went to those, but I never felt like it was was exactly what I needed. And so I, I, I moved into this stake. And this just shows how important it is for for church leaders to be inspired and to work to be inspired and listen to the spirit. And Jordan Clements, I don't, I don't know a man that's just more in tune with the spirit than him. And he's, he's amazing. I'd only, I had only moved my records into that stake two days before I got a call from the stake president's office. And they're like, stake president would like to meet with you. Wow. And I was like, okay, that's super random out of the blue. And he called me in and just like I was honest with all of my Sake presence ambitious before I told him my struggle with pornography. And you know what he did is he just said, all right, we're going to fix this. I'm going to take your temple recommend for a little bit. And I was like, oh, I felt this relief. I was like, finally, I'm being held accountable. I, I'm being like, someone's going to invest some time into me. And it's not that my bishops weren't investing time. It's just, I felt like finally I was being held accountable and that I was going to be given something. And he's like, we have this program in our stake, and it's called the Healing and Recovery Program. And there's a few commitments I'm going to have you make, and this is only if you want to. This is, this is all up to you. And you're going to sign it, and I'm going to, uh, you're going to stay accountable to me. I said, okay, let's do it. So the first one <laughs> was uh, talk to your parents. Tell your parents about your struggle and ask for a blessing from your father. Now, I told my parents about my pornography problem before my mission, after my mission. So when I got home, I told them because I still had young siblings and I wanted them to be aware and be like, here's some things maybe you can watch out for. But you know, when you get home, your mom's like, oh my gosh, my son became an angel and he's perfect. He's exalted, you know, and, and I, uh, I definitely changed a lot on my mission. So I, I was looked at as just, you know, perfect. At least that's how I felt that my family looked at me. Obviously, they didn't. They knew that I was deeply flawed. Um, but I I told them, I was like, all right, I'll do it. But I wasn't sure. I was like, I'm saying it, but am I really going to? And finally, I talked to my parents and it was humbling because they just, they loved me. And I'm not going to say that's not, that's not going to be the case for everyone. Um, I'm going to say it is for the majority. 98% of people that tell their parents they it's a positive experience and then every once in a while depending on the family situation and the understanding that parents have about pornography um, it can be kind of a negative experience but for the majority it's only positive and my parents told me that they loved me and my father gave me a blessing and after that they weren't super involved but i knew that they were praying for me and that's why it's important because there is no one who prays harder for you on this planet in more faith and your, your mother. mother. <laughs> yes, your mother. And I knew that I needed her, her prayers. And I needed her to know that she 
could specifically pray about this for me. And so after that, the other commitments were reading your scriptures daily, which I already was doing, praying daily, and then um, attending a 12-step healing and recovery meeting. And what it is, is it's just kind of a, a watered-down version because uh, the, the truth is, is that not everyone's addicted to pornography. Pornography is addicting, but not everyone is addicted. And so a lot of times it's just, a, it's a bad habit and it, it has various forms. It's not like I don't look at pornography and I'm an addict. Like there's a whole spectrum in between. Agreed. And you have to, you have to do that. And so um, what it was is you, you came every single week and, you know, there, there was probably at, the, at its peak, there was 15 of us on Tuesday and another 15 on Thursday that were completely new guys. So about 30 guys a week. And we would get together and we would just talk about the gospel. We'd go through the 12 steps, have a discussion. And then at the end, we'd break up into two groups and we would just share. We'd go in a circle and there was just this love and unity and brotherhood. And it became my favorite meeting in the church. And even today, it's my favorite meeting in the church. And I actually learned a really good, a couple of really cool things. I think the reason why the spirit was so strong there and there was so much light is because everyone was going there humbly and looking to change. Now, imagine if we did this in our sacrament meetings. If everybody that went there was open, humble, and wanting to change, the spirit can't help but be there. It, it can't not be there. And so when, you know, there was 15 of us and like that you could walk into the room and the spirit was just palpable. And it's just because nobody was trying to hide anything and everybody was just looking for Christ to come into their lives and change them. And that's the thing for us to think about as members of the church is how do we prepare ourselves so the sacrament meeting, you can walk into the building and just get hit in the face with the spirit, you know? And so I went to those meetings and, you know, I started making changes in my life, little habits and you know, there were practical ones. Like, for example, I stopped charging my phone in my room because I started to see that there was a pattern to when I would look at pornography. And it was usually if I woke up lazily in the morning and I'd like look at my phone and I'd scroll on Instagram or Facebook, and then it would just eventually devolve into that. And so I started charging my phone in the kitchen and I bought an alarm clock because guess what? They still sell alarm clocks. You don't have to use a phone to wake up in the morning. You can buy an analog alarm clock. Um, analog. Yeah. I didn't know your age group knew that <laughs> Yeah, term. I know. That's very I, impressive. I had to learn it. So, <laughs> but I did that and there were other just little practical things that I implemented in my life, but there was something missing and it was actually the, the last commitment that I made, but I hadn't been doing for the first five weeks and it was indexing. Um, the, the original way it was set up was it was supposed to be indexing two hours a week. And I just, I couldn't do it. Two hours was so much and indexing was so boring to me. I just couldn't do it to sit in front of the computer that long and, and do that. And I would, what would happen is if I couldn't do it for two hours a week, so I would set time, I'd be like, okay, I'm gonna do it 30 minutes this day, 30 minutes that day, an hour that day. If I didn't, if I didn't have 30 minutes to give, then I'd just be like, oh, I'm not gonna give any time to it because I'm, there's that perfectionist mindset that I think a lot of us have where it's like, if I can't do it perfect, then I'm not going to do it at all, right? And so I finally was like, you know what? I'm going to be, there's this quote that I love from a guy named Jordan Peterson. And he says, uh, be sufficiently humble to aim sufficiently low. 
<laughs> and so I was like, you know what? I might not be able to do two hours of indexing a week, but I can do one name a day. And so I'm going to do that. And so I just started doing one name a day. And some days I would do six, six names. Some days I would just do one. Some days I would lay in my bed ready to go to sleep. And then it would come into my head. And I was like, ah, oh, I didn't index. But I knew that I could get up for 30 seconds a minute and do one name. And so because I aimed low enough, I got very consistent. And after a year, I'd done over like 700 names indexing. And I felt this, this change. And this is why a lot of people are like, why, why is indexing so effective? And I saw that like the time between my relapses was getting longer and longer after I implemented indexing. And a lot of people are like, that seems so unrelated. Why would that work? And I think this is why. You remember that M16 analogy I used? Well, it's upgrading. It's using the M16 against Satan. He used this computer to destroy us. And we're using it to build not only us, but others. And when you think about it, pornography, it's very selfish. And I'm not going to, I don't, it's very selfish. When you're watching pornography, you don't care about the people in the videos. You don't care about the girl and what her history is, what her family situation's like, what problems she has, um, if she even wants to be there. Because now I've learned that human trafficking and, and pornography are so interlaced that it's very dangerous to even think that uh, it's, just, it's bad. But you, it's so selfish. It's just about you. You're only thinking about what pleasure does this give me and you don't care about anything else. It's really honest and very insightful. Yeah, it's, just, it's so selfish. But indexing is the exact opposite. It's not about you. You're, you're, looking, you're looking at a document of someone, and I would have these experiences, and it wasn't every time, it wasn't every day, but often enough, where I would be looking at like a birth certificate of someone that lived in Poland in 1830. And I didn't know them, and it said their weight, or how long they were, you know, 26 inches or whatever. And I would just like imagine like, wow, that must have been such an amazing experience, you know, like the, the mother and the father just had this new baby and like how precious that child was. And I would just have this intimate experience knowing that this was a, a child of God. And I don't know if the work had been done for them or, um, you know, if they're a Christian or not or what. But I knew that I was providing an opportunity for them to receive the gospel because that's how much they matter. You know, this obscure country, this obscure person that I couldn't even pronounce their name. And I would have these little experiences. And I, and I realized that, you know what? During that period of time, I, during the period of time where I was really trying to get a hold of it, I wasn't going to the temple. But I could bring the temple into my room every single day through indexing. And I think a lot of guys, a lot of people get discouraged because maybe they're not in a position where they're worthy to go to the temple. Well, bring the temple to you. Do indexing, do family, family history work. It's the exact opposite of pornography. And, uh, and that really started to cleanse my soul. That was just one. There's, there's a million lessons that I learned, a million things. And, you know, when I talk to people and they ask me, you know, how did you do it? Well, I usually ask them, well, what are you doing? And 
Why is it not working? What's not working? Because I have a million lessons that I learned, but I don't know where you're at, you know? And there's so many things, um, but indexing is one where, you know, I don't know. I, I don't, I couldn't have done it without it. And I still index one name a day and I'm going to do it for the rest of my life. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's kind of a, a brief overview, but if you have questions or uh, there's a million lessons that I've learned. How many people have you talked to about your pornography history that just because mm-hmm. you're open, they've reached out to you and you've yeah. shared with them a little bit about your story? Yeah. So the first time that I was really open about it, like I would comment in elders quorum and stuff when I was, when I finally says, here's the thing is like, you can get, you can be comfortable talking about it once you're actively working to overcome it. If you're not, then you don't want to talk about it. Right. But I love you said you can be comfortable talking about it even when it's not solved. So yeah, I was, before it was solved. That's spiral staircase uh that I love that. Before it was solved, I was still sharing experiences with people and in elders quorum, I, if the lesson was on pornography or something, then I would share, you know, my thoughts. But after I kind of had gotten a hold on it and I had made some real strides, I was asked by uh, President Clements to give a a state conference talk about it. (laughs) And he knew that I'd be willing to do it, you know, just because I am open. And I remember giving that talk and just having dozens of people come up to me and just being like, thank you. I feel like someone understands me. I'm not alone. And that I can talk to my bishop. And I remember the state president was just like, we had people lining up outside of the bishop's offices talking to him. And, you know, our HRP meetings were just starting to get filled. Way more people were coming. And that was the first time that I was like, you know what? I need to tell everybody that through Jesus Christ and through his grace, and I didn't emphasize that enough, I don't think, in what I was telling you about kind of my recovery, that it is only through him that I was changed. And I love it. And so after that, I just started, I would post on Facebook articles about pornography and I'd say, I've struggled with it. If anyone struggles with it and needs someone to talk to, and people would reach out to me through messages on Facebook. And then before I went for my military training, President Clements and I went from elders quorum to elders quorum. And we shared, I shared my experience and he interviewed me. We kind of did like an interview thing back and forth. And I would share my experience and and, and this is something that I learned that is very telling. And I think people need to know just so they know the scope of the problem. I would do something that was very unconventional, maybe made some people uncomfortable, but I felt like it was really effective. Was I would tell my story and then I would, in the elders quorum, I would say, now, if any of you have struggled with pornography in some way, shape or form, raise your hand. And it would take a second, but then everyone would raise their hand. And out of the probably, you know, we talked to six elders quorum, there are probably 30 in each, you know, 180. So, you know, 150 to 200 people, there were probably five that didn't raise their hand. And that was, that was shocking. It was sad to see. I was happy because it created this openness. And immediately when people would do that, the spirit would flood because it was like, they're not hiding it anymore. And we would have an open and honest Spirit conversation. would flood because they're not hiding it anymore. Mm. And uh, I just, it made me sad though, because it's like, wow, all these people 
But at the same time, I was like, all right, well, my recruiting efforts are working. I got more people to the fight. And we need to have that sort of honesty. Now, you don't, you don't need to go around, and I don't ever tell the details on a, like to a general. If I'm talking to someone personally and I feel it appropriate, maybe I'll share some more details um, of kind of my history with pornography. But we don't need to share our details, the details, and make it uncomfortable. But the spirit will not run when you just say, you know what? I've struggled with this and I'm working to overcome it. And I feel Jesus changing me. I'm not there yet. And it doesn't matter. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have overcome it before you can start talking about it and, and sharing your experience with others and recruiting, you know, to the fight. Um, but you have to be working on it. And it's just... That experience was amazing. And so what that means, though, is like out of 200 people, three or four or five, I don't know, maybe it was 10 that didn't raise their hand. First off, maybe they just felt a little ashamed. Maybe they needed a little bit more. And even then, though, like that's such how many people are struggling with it, you know? And especially with this year with COVID, people being stuck at home. And all their schools online and they're just all the stress and anxiety. All the stress and anxiety. Coping mechanism, escape mechanism. I mean that's a great segment. I love what you and President Clements did. I love the way you made it possible. I read a quote a lot of times on the podcast from Henry Norwin. Um over the last few years I've been becoming increasingly aware that true healing mostly takes place through the sharing of weaknesses. Mostly we are afraid of our weaknesses. We hide them at all costs costs, and then make them unavailable to others, but often to ourselves. And in this way, we end up living double lives, even against our own desires. One in which we present ourselves to the world, to ourselves, to our God as the person who is in control. And another life in where we, where we feel insecure, doubtful, confused, anxious, and totally out of control. The split between these two lives can cause us a lot of suffering. I've become increasingly aware of the importance of overcoming the great chasm between these two lives um, is the degree which I'm able to share my weaknesses with others. Often I've become aware of the fact that in sharing of my weaknesses of other, with others, the real depths of my human brokenness and weakness and sinful start to reveal themselves to me, not as a source of despair, but a source of hope. And then he goes on to talk about dependence on God. So I think culturally... We've sometimes got a culture of perfection and, and it can be toxic at mm-hmm. times, but I think what you're teaching and what we're learning how to do in church cultures, and it's probably easier in a YSA setting perhaps than a, is to, nor, is to normalize conversations about these kind of topics. Mm-hmm. And that to me is what Satan doesn't want to have happen. Mm-hmm. He wants to keep this cloaked enough. You had a phrase there where you talked about shame with some adjectives mm-hmm. and cased in shame, I think mm-hmm. you said, or covered in shame. Mm-hmm. So I think that, you know, bringing it into the light is key to solving it. Yeah, Satan doesn't want it. He hates it. He hates every single time. I, I love the fact that right now Satan is just angry with me. Yeah, He's angry he that I'm talking. Because you're giving people hope and talk about dating. So you're married now. You've been married under a year. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard mixed counsel, um, uh, um, and I like what you did with your wife. Mm -hmm. And I would, I think that's generally the right thing to do. 
talk about when you opened, if you did, and if you did, when you opened up to your wife mm-hmm. um, about pornography. Yeah. So by the time I, you know, had met and started dating my wife, I was already comfortable on the path that I was on. I was not yet perfect. Um, you know, I I had gotten a really good hold on it. I wasn't, I I hadn't had like really long time, you know, but I mean, I think when we started dating, I was about three months without looking at pornography. And before that I had a six month. And then before that it was like two months, a month. And I, I, I was slowly getting better, you know? Um, but I was just, I was comfortable in the path that I was on. And, you know, that confidence um, kind of radiates a little bit. And so, you know, I think it was on our second date, maybe our third date. I can't remember exactly. But she asked if I could do something, you know, on a Thursday night, which was when I had my HRP. And I just said, no, I've, I have my healing and recovery program class. I, I go there kind of, um, it's, it's there to help uh, young men overcome uh, pornography habit. And, and then I just kind of told her my history with it. And she, she didn't run away. And I think most of the time, you know, especially young women in the church, they fear that that will be a problem in their future relationships. And they suspect that, you know, most men have struggled with it. And um, when you're just open and honest with them from the get-go, I'm not saying you have to do it on the second date, third date, but at one point just if you're, and, and the big part about this is if you're hiding it, you're not going to feel comfortable to talk to anyone about it. You, you have to be open about it first with your parents, your church leaders, and then you'll feel comfortable to talk to, you know, a potential dating prospect, I guess. I don't know. Or a young woman that you're dating. But a lot of guys, they just like, oh, I don't know if I could ever do that. And I was like, well, are you open to your parents yet? No, I haven't told my parents yet. And I was like, let's just start there. Hey, you're not going to be able to tell your girlfriend or this girl you're interested in yet. Start by telling your bishop, your parents, and and sharing inappropriate situations, your experience with others. And then when I told my wife, I was just I wasn't nervous at all. And she, and it'd be interesting to see what because I've never asked her, but it'd be interesting to see what she thought about it. Did it bring you closer together? Or did it pull you apart? It brought us closer together, and I think it it built a, a foundation of trust. And I'll actually share an experience. Is It was the last time that I messed up. It was, my, it was the last time that I relapsed. And I'm glad that it happened when it did. And in retrospect, I'm glad that it happened, um, which is kind of hard to say. It's weird to say that. You never think that when you're in the moment. But when you, when you look back, you're like, that was a lesson worth learning then so I don't have to learn it later. Um, but we were engaged to be married. And I messed up. I looked at pornography. And after that, I got on my knees immediately. I prayed. And God impressed upon my heart. He's like, you're right. You told me first. You talked to me first. But now you have a responsibility to someone else before your bishop. Even more, like this this relationship that you're going to have with your wife is more important than any relationship you're going to have with a church leader. So you're going to tell her first before you talk to your bishop. And I just felt, oh my gosh. 
I didn't know if I could do it. And I remember I, I FaceTimed her that night and we just talked about our days. And I knew I couldn't hang up. I, I was so close to lying. Like it was just the battle of just like, okay, just push it off. It's not going to be a big deal. It's one time and you're not even married yet. You know, it's we'll just work it out with your bishop and, and the Lord. And I, I sat on the call and I wouldn't hang up. I told myself I'm not going to hang up until I tell her. And so we sat in silence probably for two minutes. She's like, what? I just sat there. And then I told her. And she was so loving and caring. Um, but I also just knew that I never wanted to do that again. <laughs> I never wanted to have to look into her eyes and tell her that I'd done that. And that I had introduced that into our lives. Because we were, we were connected now. And my decisions affect her. And here's the thing. And, and maybe if you're a married man and, or if you're not married or if you have a serious girlfriend, consider this. She understands pretty well the nature of addiction and that, you know, pornography, it doesn't really have anything to do with sex. It's completely, they're, they're not related. It's actually very interesting interesting especially after being married and having intimacy an intimate relationship with my wife like you realize how disconnected they really are i compare you know pornography is as related to sex as chewing gum is to thanksgiving dinner it's like it's just they're not they're not related um and so she can have a a really good understanding about the nature of addiction and how hard it is but no matter what there's going to be a little part of her a little voice in her head that makes her think that it's her fault that it's because she's not pretty enough because she's not enough and that's not the truth but I never want her to ever have to think that and so I was grateful for that experience that it happened before we got married and you know I, I talked to her I talked to my bishop and you know that was the last time and and I remember you know, that was in uh, the beginning of November, I think, of 2019. And I remember uh, New Year's, I was making goals with her. And I wrote down, like, this is going to be my first year, not as a missionary, since I was 13 years old, that I'm not going to look at pornography. And it's funny because when you're in the loop and people that understand, like when you're in the fight, you make stupid deals with yourself. Like, you look at pornography and you're like, all right, that was the last time. Or you, it's coming up on your birthday or it's coming up on a new year and you're like, this is the year. Or yeah, my 16th year of life, I'm going to make it through and not look at pornography. But you never really believe it. Like you say it, but you're always like, but really, are you really not going to? But when I said it in the beginning of 2020, I believed it. And I was so just elated that like I believed it. and. I've done it thus far and I and I plan on keeping up my habits and doing the things necessary to keep me close to the Lord and allow his grace to continue to change me but I have zero I have zero doubt in my mind that if I continue on this path pornography will not reenter but I'm also humble enough to recognize that if I veer off this path then I'm I'm opening myself up to the the darts of the the adversary it's a really good segment. I I remember talking to some of the YSAs, and for our listeners who don't listen to me regularly, I was a singles word bishop 
from 2013 to 2016. Mm -hmm. And um, as I've talked in the podcast before, I got set apart to be a bishop. President Evans left the office, and I can still remember the first person that walked in his name I could say right now. Mm -hmm. I won't. And we talked about pornography, and we talked about pornography for the next three years mm -hmm. with hundreds and hundreds of interviews. But I, I felt like... You know, I've got two daughters, and some of the women struggle with pornography. We haven't talked yeah. about this on this podcast, but I looked at some of those young men working through pornography like you, mm -hmm. and I told them that if they asked for my daughter's hand in marriage, that I would gladly give it mm -hmm. because I knew the men that they are and the direction they were pointing and their understanding of the atonement and the kind of fathers and husbands they would be. Now, there were some men with no pornography problem that I wouldn't <laughs> um, give permission to marry my daughter. Mm -hmm. And I share that to just build some nuance there that we, that sometimes we get these checklist mentality that I'm never going to date somebody that's looked at pornography mm. or I'm never good going. Luck. Good luck. You're right. <laughs> and I think we have to look at the person and their Christ-like attributes and their gifts. And I recognize in Hayden's situation, and his good wife recognized this, that this process has made him, you would never give a conference talk and say, go look at pornography because you're going to learn how the atonement works in your life or develop Christ-like attributes, but it is part of mortality. Mm -hmm. And that's maybe what we all knew when we were coming to mortality is we would have to learn the atonement firsthand, mm -hmm. not theoretical, not through reading about it and you know the savior, you know the atonement and and so I and and some of these women um, got to the point, you know, and some of the times I got the feeling that, you know, these women like your wife, I'm speaking mm -hmm. for your wife now, would recognize that you are just gonna be the you are gonna be the kind of husband and father they want for their future children. Mm -hmm. Because you will be able to know how to navigate this with them. And the and the trust and the vulnerability and the honesty that existed throughout your engagement on this, that FaceTime call mm -hmm. where you had the guts. And I, like you said, I never want to do that again. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm glad. And I realized some women might call off the engagement I, mm -hmm. or some woman, but I recognized that she knew you well enough and your goodness well enough and had enough sort of non-checklist world view about her that she saw your soul and your heart and your goodness and, Sure, that's a little concerning. She wonders how that works. But I recognize, I also recognize that what you're also wondering if it's about her and it's not. Mm -hmm. And it's really not. And so there's some really thoughtful things said in that. I've talked about this in the podcast before, but one night after these interviews where I was interviewing the very best people in our ward that were working on pornography, mm -hmm. the very best. And that it was late at night and I just pulled up an empty chair in the bishop's office and it was just me in this empty chair. And I just had a conversation with Heavenly Father. And I said, Heavenly Father, did you know it would be this hard for them? And sort of like, maybe you miscalibrated here. You made technology just a little too pervasive or you gave them just a little too much hormones and it just, that combination just, it's really difficult. And he, Heavenly Father, in a moment of clarity, responded. And he said, I didn't send them here to fail. And I love them. And then he said a couple things. He said, you know, I flooded the earth with temples to help them. 
And I, for the first time, I've thought about indexing as mm -hmm. part of that. I thought about mm -hmm. temple attendance when I first received that person revelation, but you've expanded that mm -hmm. about indexing. And I've really felt strongly that the temple um, is part of the process to go up that staircase. I like where President Clements took your temple recommend away. Mm -hmm. We, I didn't always do that. I would sometimes work with the YSAs and say, would it be helpful to restrict your temple attendance? Mm -hmm. And some would say, please do. Mm -hmm. Um, it'll make me accountable and it'll give me a goal. And some actually said it would help me to go to the temple. Yeah. Um, because I feel like if I'm doing what you're doing and doing my very best efforts to solve this, and I'm going up the stairways still with some lapses, temple attendants would help me. And I was comfortable mm -hmm. if their heart was in the right place and they were doing sort of best efforts. Mm -hmm. um, so that was, and the other thing that Heavenly Father told me was good women will come in their life. Mm -hmm. And I would expand that to be good spouses for women that have a pornography challenge. And, and I'm careful with that one. I don't want to say the spouses are responsible for solving the spouse's problem, mm -hmm. pornography problem, but often that vulnerable, honest relationship and taking it out of the shame and into the light and two people working together with two imperfect people in a relationship or marriage is often part of the path for healing. Yeah. And part of the path to put that behind them. And that's taken me a lot of time to kind of sort through that. Um, I so I just, my empathy and, you know, for the men and women working on that. And if you are some of those people, it's people like Hayden that can walk you out of that darkness and, and into the light. And I wish I had heard this podcast, you know, a month before I was called. I wish we could have played it in a bishop's training meeting. And I'll discuss the things that you're teaching us. Mm -hmm. Because this comes back to a really strong feeling I have is it is peaking with your generation. Yeah. Because you are going to be the parents and leaders of tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And you have better tools to help us solve this. Yeah. So I'll I think, turn it back to you for any thoughts. Yeah, I just, I think that this is the war that we are facing. And back, I, I can only, I, for some reason, it's just like the Marine in me. I just Good. think about it. <laughs> In a, in a war perspective where it's like you would never use the same tactics that you use. You're not going to, there's no such thing as a copy and paste war strategy where it's like, all right, so we use this one in world war two, let's uh, apply it to Vietnam. And then we're going to take it from Vietnam. We're going to apply it to the Afghanistan war wars in Afghanistan, and Iraq. Every enemy is unique and you have to fight them in a unique way. And so we have to develop that strategy. And we can't say, and I wish it was this way. I wish it was this easy. You will not pray away pornography. You will not read scriptures enough where it will just make pornography go away. Agreed. Now, now those are elements. Those are tactics within the broader strategy, but they are not sufficient on their own. And you need accountability. You need someone that is going to keep you accountable every day. I didn't talk about that. Part of the HRP program is they had people in the stake that were assigned to lead these meetings, facilitate them. And then they were assigned to be accountability partners with the brethren, with the, with the young men. So I would text my accountability partner every single day. And I would say it was a good day. Or if Sprint I messed Penninger, up, one mess of up. those in your stake. Does that name so. ring a bell? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. And we would have, we had that. And so like, that's necessary. That's something that's needed. 
You need to have a group of brothers who are going through it with you. That gives you the strength to keep moving forward. And the reason why those meetings are so effective is because you have people that are at different levels of their recovery and have implemented many different things. So when you get together and you share, first off, you're inspired because, you know, when you're, when you're in it, you can't see the light. When you're deep into it, you can't see it. But when, when the light at the end of the tunnel. But when you have someone come in and say, you know what, I see the light at the end of the tunnel. And then someone who's, who's closer to the light at the end of the tunnel. And then someone who's stepped through the light at the end of the tunnel. When you have all those people testifying of that, it inspires that person that can't yet see the light. They can't yet imagine their life without pornography. And it helps them moving forward. Like, I just, I wish that this HRP program was implemented in every single, for sure, YSA stake. I, I mean, in Provo. Oh my gosh. There would be such a blessing that, that the, the youth down there would be so blessed by having a program like this. And we just can't, we can't be naive enough to think that we can't change the way that we're approaching the problem and have the problem disappear. And so I just, I'm so grateful for Jesus Christ and for the role he's played in my life and in my recovery. I am grateful to be part of his church, and I know that much strength comes from being a member of the church and having the gift of the Holy Ghost. Um, and I just, I know that if we are humble and we work together um, as a, a church community, that we can win this fight. And the fight's already been won, really. We just have to learn how to access that power. You know, Jesus gave us the most powerful weapon against our enemy, and it's the atonement. It's his grace. And if we are just humble enough to access it, and that's really what this HRP program did, is it allowed me to access the grace of Jesus Christ by, by working with the body of Christ, like we talked about. There were so many people, I, I didn't even talk about this, but I went and I saw a therapist as well, a counselor. Good. And he was such a such a blessing to me. He was just another element in the, in the body of Christ. He, he had the attributes that I needed in order to overcome this. And so we need to utilize all these tools that we have. And I know that we will win this fight. We just got to be humble enough to access that power and to change. In the October Ensign, the 2020 Ensign, um, I have an article in that and sign on page 72 called seven tips for overcoming pornography use. And so this is a timely podcast for that article coming out and grateful for the unsigned folks talking about these openly talking about more complicated subjects. Cause I think mm -hmm. it's exactly what you're trying to teach us and doing in that stake. I'll just read these seven without, I'll just read the seven without going in that any is. detail. Um, number one is know that you are a child of heavenly parents who love you. And the idea there is nothing you can do can take them outside of the circle of their love. Um, number two is remove shame. Number three is don't be quick to use the label addiction. Number four is write a pre written prevention plan. Mm. Number five is understand the difference between lapse and relapse. And mm. lapse is sort of, I like your staircase. Lapse is sort of where you're going up the staircase and you slip. Mm -hmm. 
But instead of binging and saying you're back to the bottom of the staircase and not caring, you just sort of pragmatically revisit your prevention plan and say, what happened? Yeah. What do I need to do? What happened like to cause me to mess up this time? Why I didn't mess up for three weeks? And you sort of, you get on your knees, like you said, but you use as a learning experience as you're mm-hmm. climbing the staircase. And so I love why I say most of what I write in here, what people like Hayden taught me, mm-hmm. um, believe in the Savior's healing power um, and don't do this alone. So these are very, it's just interesting as I write this article and now have this podcast with Hayden that the, the solutions that I've come to learn through the things that I've, um, the YSAs I've talked to, the addiction coveries I've request attended with the YSAs, that was awesome. Mm-hmm. And the things you're teaching us and the thing President Clements did. Um, and so I think we're making progress on this. I had an email today from a bishop um, that read my article and just said, I, what more? That's really helpful, mm-hmm. but I'm going to send him this podcast. I hope that, you know, hundreds of YSA wards listen to you and hundreds of thousands of YSAs listen because this is the path and it's the path of hope and the atonement. Um, I'd like to talk just, we're going a little long, but we go long in these podcasts. I don't have anything to do. (laughs) Um, The Dodgers are playing tonight. As some of my listeners know, I'm a Dodger (laughs) fan and they always were lose in the world series. And I talk (laughs) about that. So we'll see if they win tonight. Sorry (laughs) to bring in a a time stamp into a podcast you may hear six months and go, huh? (laughs) I don't do that too often, but I've thought about two to different applications of pornography. One would be a homeward Bishop um, with obviously um, youth between the ages of 12 and 19. And I would, Mm -hmm. there's a couple things that I'd suggest, and maybe Hayden has some thoughts here. I, um, we have four sons, so we have some experience with this subject in our own family. And one bishop, as my son opened up, um, asked that son's permission if he could talk to us or if the son wanted mm-hmm. to talk to us. And that was a very appropriate thing to do. The mm-hmm. bishop did not talk to us without my son's permission. And I wouldn't. That's good. And I think that that's really important. So if you're a homeward bishop or even a Relief Society, just a homeward member and somebody in your stewardship opens up to you about a sin-related thing, I think you need to keep that confidence mm-hmm. and not share it with anybody unless that person gives you permission to tell their parents, or it might even be better like Hayden State President did with Hayden, have Hayden tell his parents. Mm-hmm. Then um, another thing I'd caution is about sacrament taking. I've um, There's a lot of shame if you're a homeward youth sitting on the row and not taking the sacrament. Mm-hmm. And that can be helpful, but that can be destructive. Mm-hmm. And I've known youth that have left the building during sacrament because they don't want to not take the sacrament in front of mm-hmm. or the fear of not taking the sacrament keeps them from talking to people about what they need. Mm-hmm. And it keeps them in this shame cycle that you were in pre-mission where you, yeah. you didn't want to talk to everybody. So I don't want to write church policy here, but I think the sacrament is more about looking forward and wanting to do your best and not about a punishment for the past. Mm-hmm. Now that may not be exactly church doctrine, but especially in a home ward, I would, unless a youth feels not taking the sacrament would help them. Um, I wouldn't make that a uniform restriction. 
Now, performing an ordinance may be a little different, like blessing the sacrament. And that gets a little sticky, too, if a young, uh, young if a wrong priest to hold it for some reason is no longer blessing the sacrament. So I just invite leaders to go by the Spirit there and not have hardened rules um, that may may cause more shame than actually is necessary and, and cause them in this spiral. Any thoughts on any of that? No, for sure. I I think it's very important. I want to make this very clear that my story, although there are principles that people can glean from, it's not everybody's. I'm There's a friend of mine that I'm working with and we're, we're buddies and I'm kind of helping him stay accountable during okay. this. And um, he saw pornography for the first time when he was eight, eight years old. So that he doesn't really remember a time where he wasn't, he didn't struggle with pornography. And that adds a whole different thing. And so everyone's background is so unique and everyone's repentance process is so unique. And so you can't throw blanket rules over things, you know, and I think it's important to, to listen to the spirit. Now for me, it was a, it was a godsend that president Clements took away my temple recommend. Right. But just like you said earlier, sometimes you felt inspired not to, you know, uh, for some people, it might be good and humbling for them to not take the sacrament. Agreed. Maybe, maybe it will cause them to recognize it for what it truly is. Agreed. And for some people, it might not be as necessary. And I think it's important that we, we listen to the spirit, that we're not afraid um, if we feel prompted to ask them not to take the sacrament, that we're not afraid to hurt their feelings Agreed. or something like that. That's important as well. We need to be willing to do whatever the Lord wants because he knows. You know, and I, I, the thought just came to my head about the importance of being open. And you shared that quote about how sharing weaknesses can be uplifting and bring the spirit. You know, the, the Savior says um, when he is having dinner with the sinners, right? And I can't remember if it's a Pharisee or whoever says it. They're like, do you know who your company is? And he's like, um, the sick or um, only the sick need the physician or the, or those who are not sick need no physician or something like that. Or the hill, the whole, I can't remember, but you get the point where it's like, if we show that we've never been sick, then we have zero credibility when it comes to recommending a physician. I'm not going to trust someone that I feel has never been sick to recommend me a good doctor someone that has been sick and they give me a recommendation, you know, like someone like, you know, it's funny. It seems like as, as people get older, they're kind of like, I got this really good knee doctor. And then it's like, they're like, Oh, I got a good knee doctor too, or whatever. But, um, you know, you share, if you've had knee problems, then you recommend your knee doctor to people. Now, when we have spiritual problems and we, and we tell people the nature of them to, uh, an appropriate degree, then we have credibility when we recommend them to the physician, which is Christ. Love that. Um, we haven't talked a lot about uh, pornography with married men, could mm -hmm. be married women, mm -hmm. that never talked about it before they got married. And now they're in a really tough spot where they sort of thought, I think your generation's doing better at being educated that just getting married doesn't end pornography. Mm -hmm. But my guess is five, 10 years ago, there's a fair amount of pornography use and 
there was more shame around it, less talking about it, maybe yeah. just feeling that as I got married, this would end. And so I'm, you may be, some of you listeners may be those people that are sort of trapped in this world. Now I've got a major trust issue if I talk to my spouse about it, mm-hmm. because this has been going on for 10 years and I can't talk to my bishop about it because I have a calling in the ward and, you know, what would my kids think? And so that's, that's a different space than you're in, but some of the, I, I guess I, you could comment on that, mm-hmm. but I would pray for you listeners that the things that Hayden shared with you, the principles he taught apply in your situation. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I wouldn't want to give a uniform answer for how you're going to deal with that, except to point you to our heavenly father who loves you and, and wants to help you. And the savior is there for you. And that there's a way out of this. Mm-hmm. Um, we've done a couple podcasts. Um, all of our podcasts on this subject are indexed under the website, listenlearnandlove.org. Across the top is podcasts. And then there's a drop down menu for all types of podcasts. And under solving addictions is where these are, are listed. But episode 190, 190 is Joe and Amy Pearson. Mm-hmm. And Joe does bravely talk about his multi decade. Um, porn addiction um, with his wife on the podcast. and, mm, they, and That's awesome. It was really brave of him. Mm-hmm. And he received a little bit of flack just talking openly about that. And I mourned for him, but he also, that podcast right now just on SoundCloud is 12,000 listens. Wow. That doesn't include Apple and all the other places. Mm-hmm. So I think 30 or 40,000 people have listened to that. But you could listen to that podcast for those of you in that space, episode 190. Mm-hmm. Um, but he finally, one day, the turning point was him. He just felt God loved him. Mm-hmm. It was just the love of God that came to him in a very unlikely moment mm-hmm. that gave him, because I think then he realized if God loves me, I can love myself. And it was the beginning of putting this behind him. Yeah. So I'll turn it, and you could just, listeners, you could turn down there. We've had a, on episode 205, um, we had a YSA stick president who has a program talk. He didn't really talk as a YSA stick president. In episode 274, Mm -hmm. we had someone who's not a member of Fire Faith talk about the role of music Mm -hmm. to solve addictions. It was fascinating. He has an advanced degree in music and and kind of paints the case that music can help rewire Mm -hmm. our brains for some people and help them. Episode 290 is an, a married LDS man that does talk also about his current mm-hmm. porn problem. And a most recent episode is Drew Young, episode 325. Oh, Drew Young, he's one of my good buddies. He's a bright and high guy. Andrew, yeah, Andrew Young. He's he's like one of my best, but like he's in my friend group. And he yeah. just wrote, wrote his, his, his book. book. Yeah. Yeah. So he really just cool. preceded you and <laughs> that's really cool. That's really cool. And he um, talked about, you know, the same journey. Yeah, I will say one thing. So I'll just turn it back to you mm-hmm. for the, any comments on that and any closing comments. Okay, awesome. Um, I did want to just comment quickly on that. Um, a lot of people might think that they're so far into it that if they say anything now, that it will yeah. just completely destroy their lives. And, and that do you have mindset. People reaching out to you that are in that group, married men that have been. Not, uh, I, I have talked to a couple married men. Okay. But- um, but nothing, but not, I don't have as much experience. In but that. you're right. People are into this. So feel they're in mm-hmm. it so deep that they can't. And, and what I'll say is this is it's um, that feeling 
it's the same feeling that a 16-year-old has when he has to tell his parents. And what I mean is that in that 16-year-old's life, his parents are all that's there, right? It's, it's just as daunting to tell him because in his world, which is smaller because he's only 16, he's only experienced so much, or 12 or 13 or whatever, it's just as scary for him as it would be for a married man to tell his wife, even though they seem like they're completely different. In his world, it's the same. And so it just takes, it takes courage and it takes faith that the shame that you have been, you know, carrying around with you your whole life is nothing but a mirage. And if you just push that away and you see what God has in store for you, that your relationship with your wife that you might be afraid would be ruined can find healing in Christ. And it doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean that it's going to be, um, it's going to work out exactly how you want it to. But there's this quote that I love. Um, let's see if I can remember. It. I remember it. It's a, uh, every lie you tell incurs a debt to the truth. And sooner or later, that debt will be paid. And so if you keep lying about it, it will be found out. And the the catastrophe that will take place then is going to be greater, far greater than if you would just willingly admit to your spouse, to your bishop, that you're struggling with it now. You will be found out. I promise you that. And it's going to be so much worse later than now. And just in closing thoughts, I just want to bear my witness that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world and that he stands at the door and knocks. And if we have the courage to let him in, to, to change us and to, and to make us into the type of people that he wants us to be, that we will, that, that everything's going to be okay. And I'm grateful for Jesus Christ and for Heavenly Father and the help they've given me in overcoming pornography. And I plan on leaning on them for the rest of forever. And I have nothing but faith that as I do that, that I will not have to return back to this habit that brought so much negativity and darkness into my life. And yeah, that's, that's my testimony. This has been one of the very best podcasts we've done. Um, thank you, President Clements, for acting on your impression to send an email to me and, mm-hmm. and put Hayden Paul on, and on this podcast. How do people find you? What's the, if someone says, I got to yeah. talk to this if guy, someone how wants do to they talk find to me, me? You can, uh, you know, I, I don't have uh, Instagram anymore. I do have Facebook. My name's Hayden Paul. I'm in Sandy, Utah. So you can find me on there or um, send me an email at hrpaul at me.com, me.com. And I'm, I'm happy to talk to anyone. And I love, I love sharing my experience. And I love, and I was telling you this before, my favorite thing in the world is watching people repent. I love it. I love repentance. I love how positive it is. And then it's just one last thing that I, I remembered I wanted to say. If you're looking for a spouse and your worry is whether or not they're, they're perfect or clean enough, 
and you're probably going to be disappointed. But if you're looking and your focus is on whether they're humble enough to repent for the rest of their lives, then you're going to have a, you're going to be a lot happier because that's really what matters. You have to look for someone that is humble enough to repent. That brought tears to my eyes. Just a confirmation from the Spirit of how powerful that is. What a thoughtful thing to say. What a thoughtful insight about the gospel of Jesus Christ. What a thoughtful thing about the foundation for a healthy relationship. You have a unique life mission. I read this quote a lot. Um, uh, the wounded healer is the name of the quote. A minister's service will not be perceived as authentic unless it comes from a heart wounded by the suffering about which he speaks. The great illusion of leadership is to think others can be led out of a desert by someone who's never been there. You, Hayden Paul, are a wounded healer. It's a great blessing. It's a brutal desert where you've been. I know you'd love to go back to your 17-year-old self, your 18-year-old self, your 19-year-old self, and talk to that younger self, but you just have on this podcast mm -hmm. and give him hope and give him the tools that you understand now that you have a life mission. And the thing you understand about the atonement applies in so many different areas. Mm -hmm. You know the Savior, Neil, the atonement. You're the wounded healer. I love your positive take on the atonement. The more I think about the prodigal son and and the Father representing our Savior running, I think He is so glad when we hit our knees and repent. Mm -hmm. He has, He has, you know, this greatest gift of mankind that He provided for us. When we take advantage of that, He just smiles. Mm -hmm. It's no doubt. So, um, in the podcast link, we'll link to Hayden's article from the Church News. I'll put aim. aim Hayden's email and the podcast copy so you can scroll down mm -hmm. and see his email. We'll link to his Facebook and also link to my Ensign article in the October Ensign so you can read more about that. But thank you, our listeners. Please share this podcast. Please act on the impressions, especially this group we talked about at the very end, um, people that have never talked to anybody about an, a, perhaps a multi-decade pornography challenge maybe this is the time to talk about it. And maybe some of the, the thoughts that come into your mind may not be anything either of us have said, but thoughts just may come into your mind about the best way for you to proceed on how to move forward in solving this. Mm -hmm. and, and, and obviously some of the things that Hayden's directly said. So thank you for listening to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love hosted by Richard Osler. Thank you.